Welcome to the Watford FC Buzz podcast, the show where we talk about the greatest team in the land, Watford Football Club. My name is Matt Messiano and this week, like usual, we'll be discussing Watford and also having a little sneak peek at the team who Watford are about to play. This week, that's AFC Bournemouth and later in the show, I'll be chatting to Chris Temple, the England announcer himself and also broadcaster for BBC Radio Solar. But first, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show, Jordan Weimer. Jordan, how are you doing today? Great, thanks, Matt. Excellent stuff. Well, Jordan, after several one nils, we finally got to see more of a game last night. Watford played the high-scoring Blackburn Rovers at home and they came away three goals to one winners. And I thought that Blackburn were clearly the best team that Watford have faced so far this season. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I think they were definitely the most uh, proactive against us. They they weren't really too too comfortable in sitting back and having, having not much possession. They wanted to get out and attack. And yeah, I thought they... Um, they did a decent job of that. They they had a lot of shots on target, a lot of shots on goal, and they made us work for that win, definitely. There, there were times in the game when, when I, I felt nervous. Blackburn really moved the ball around well, particularly in the first half, Jordan. Yeah, I think they were they were pretty committed to that style of play. Um, we've seen it in their previous games. They're a high-scoring team, and they, they do look to, uh, to attack a lot uh, from the off. They didn't quite manage to get things going against uh, Forest the week before, but... Yeah, they exposed some some areas of our team. I think they did a pretty good job overall. They're maybe a bit unfortunate to uh, to come away with nothing from that one. But Watford ultimately ran out the winners, and and I think, I mean, there there were some really big noticeable differences. I think one of the big ones for us was that when Ismail Yassar is is on it, he he really really makes the opposition struggle, and and I think their uh, their left back. Dybala had a, had a terrible time dealing with him. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the one of the issues that any team facing us is going to come up against. That if you're going to play against uh, a team that's from Asar and there, you've got to respect that the entire ninety minutes or, or the whole time he's on the pitch. You can only progress up the pitch so far when you've got that sort of threat that can come in behind you. So yeah, I mean having that on the field for us is always going to be a weapon. Um, I think Blackburn maybe didn't try to compensate for that as much as I thought they would. Um, something that definitely showed up yesterday was the uh, the amount of space that the Blackburn had between the back line. They were spaced pretty far, their centre-backs were wide, their full-backs stayed wide, regardless of which side, of the ball, uh, which side of the pitch the ball was on, which is something you don't see too often. Most of the time you kind of see that opposite full-back tuck inside and, and try and keep some keep some shape even in possession. But yeah, they're pretty... Um, Pretty attacking in their in their mindset, and even off the ball, they they kept that shape to be ready to attack us and hit them uh, hit them weak carries for our own defence. Yeah, Sar made the second goal with uh, with Tom cleverly scoring scoring the second, and and well, cleverly's extended his contract for for three more years. He seems pretty happy here, Jordan, and he's he's really embracing his captain role at the minute, isn't he? Yeah, I mean he's doing a good job in that sense. I think um, he's perhaps not. He's perhaps not the player that, that we'd be looking to, to use in that midfield role every single game. So whether the captaincy will stay with him is, a, is an ongoing thing, I'm not too sure. But we are seeing a lot of commitment from him. He's, he's doing his job. He's, he's been a good leader. And in this kind of opening, turbulent time we've had for the start of the season, he's done a, he's done a good job in there. Um, I, I think we'll probably see a, a few changes still to come in, the, in that midfield. And I, I think he's going to be one that his, his position is going to be up for grabs in, in some capacity. 
Yeah, who do you think that uh, that could come into to, to to his role then? Well, I think we're just going to see a slight change of, of midfield shape, and with the return of Etienne Kapoor and Will Hughes, I just don't see those two players not being involved um, from the start when possible. So, I think there's going to be a good chance that if cleverly is to play, it's going to be that supplementary role in midfield. But then, if you're playing that three-man midfield, you almost want that player that can can break their minds and get forward a bit more. And Tom Cleverly is not really that guy. Maybe. Image decides to use Hughes in the, in the role that he's played before as that kind of more advanced number 10 sort of uh, attacking midfielder and drop cleverly back. But if we go with the two man midfield, I think you'd be hard pressed to, uh, to argue against Kapoor and Hughes as a pair. Mm. And if we use that two man midfield, potentially that would mean that that uh, Watford could have three players up front in, in the likes of Pedro on one side, Sar on the other, and then a striker down the middle, more of a natural number nine. Although Having said that, Chao Pedro scored another goal uh, against Blackburn Rovers and extending his, his scoring streak. And uh, he, he took this one with a really assured finish as well. It wasn't quite as spectacular as his last one, but uh, he looked more confident when he struck it as well. And, you know, he really clicked well with Ismail Yassar too. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this game in particular gave him a lot of opportunity. We, we saw in the last, last outing together, they kind of struggled to get that, that combination going. I, I still think... I still think at times they, they struggled with that a little bit last night. But what we did have is we had the advantage of that space um, that we were talking about earlier. Blackburn didn't really respect our forwards as much as other teams have. So they had that natural room to manoeuvre in. There's a little bit more open for them. I think we would perhaps like to see a little more uh, consistency in, in, in the movement of some of the, some of the forwards just to, just to provide that option. I think a few, a few too many times yesterday, we had the ball. We were trying to we were trying to kind of build out from the back, or even if we were counter, trying to counter attack, we just didn't really have that focal point, that 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 target just to get the ball to. I'm not talking about long high balls. I'm just saying someone central that you can you can get the ball to, and they can take a touch, and they can allow allow time for the other players to get up. There's a few periods where the ball just kept coming back and back and back, and when you've got a team like Blackburn, they've got that attacking threat. There's only so many times you can really get away with that. Who do you think would be the best option that, that Watford have to play that, that central striker role if, if, it, if it's not going to be Pedro? Well, I mean, you, you're really looking at being the operation in, in, in that sense. If you're looking for that, that striker that can kind of give you something in terms of a, of a focal point that can hold the ball and bring others into play. It, it's something we've seen if it's used at Maccabi Tel Aviv where he has that, that centre forward. He's almost more of a support player than, than an attacking player. Um You've got them two, them two inside forwards that are going to be almost your striker at this point if you're playing that three-four-three. Three. So that that number nine is, is not so much going to be there for that threat in the box. He's more of that link man, almost like a, a false nine target man kind of hybrid, where you're going to come back, drop into them deeper positions, pick up the ball, and allow them them forwards either side to make them run. So you're still effectively playing with that that two up front. It just gets things a little bit more narrow, and you get your width from your wing backs. So. There's, there's definitely room in there to, to play around with some combinations. It's not a natural fit for maybe Andre Gray, for example, but you could see Paricia or, or Troy Dean fit in that sort of role. How does the inside forward role differ from from what a winger might do, Jordan? Well, if you if you've got a traditional winger, generally they're going to be playing on that on that then wider areas. They're looking to isolate defenders, uh, fullbacks, and then one on one situations, which is something we've seen a lot from Saar. But when you get them inside forwards, they just naturally drift into that that inside space. So it's all about creating creating them uh, them holes to work in. The player's got to be intelligent, but 
if you've got that whip from your wing back and they're managing to get up pretty high and you've got that that centre forward that's dropping into space, it's just a drag when centre backs around. You think you have a Parisha or Dini that's occupying them two centre backs if he if he's able to pull one in and you've got a wing back occupying the full back on a, on a midfielder then you can you can create them holes and you need pace, you need someone that's comfortable coming in on their often on a weaker foot and just attacking the box. And I think in Sar and Pedro you've got two players there that you can utilise them pretty well in that situation. I think that's most likely something that um, Ivic had identified early on, based on the fact that he's used a very similar system in, in his previous job, and he's not really had the opportunity to actually uh, to go ahead of it as of yet because the personnel haven't quite been available. I'm just thinking he had Pericha and also Murray available on the, on the bench, and and you know he, so he had the option of, of playing with uh, with with both Pedro and and Saar as de- deployed in the inside forward roles, but I suppose he didn't opt to do that. What do you think he was? Um, he was he was holding back for. Well, I think maybe it could be a, one of two things. Really, it could be the case of he doesn't quite think Pritch is ready. Maybe he's wanting him to get some more game time. He obviously had that that spur in the cup uh, where he didn't. I mean, he got sent off to so that limited things. And I think before the sending off, there was a good chance he would have started the following game with the injuries he had. So I think it's maybe just a, tra- a case of reintegrating him. Um, I think matchup wise, it wasn't a bad game to play. Siren Siren Pedro, as we said, that was. There's room for them to operate in. We kind of probably had the impression that the Blackburn were going to play in, in, in the way they had been. So that was maybe from the off. That wasn't a bad a bad game to play those two. A little surprise they didn't come on at some point. Uh, as for Murray, I think I think it's it's something that that we've talked about before. But Murray was really signed. I believe as a the supplement to the attack. He's he's not so much meant to be thought of as a player that's going to be starting games and coming on for large periods. I think he's more of an addition. Um, to the, that attacking that attacking room and just giving them that extra dimension should you need to bring on an option later on and someone that can be a threat in the box looking to break down a, a stubborn defence. So I think really it's just a case of personnel availability and the opposition. I think in the future that's something we might see. Uh, but as for last night, it wasn't maybe necessary. Another area of the uh, of the pitch where we looked pretty assured was in goal and Ben Foster again proved to everyone just how good a goalkeeper he is. He made a, a fantastic penalty save as well as a number of key crucial saves in the game. Just how good is he? Yeah, I mean, well, he, was, he was fantastic last night. I mean, the, the saves he was pulling off and the penalty save itself. I'm not, I'm not going to get too negative on Ben Foster. I mean, yeah, he was a man of the match last night. I do think in some in some situations last night, we did see the limitations of uh, of his use of the ball. There's a few times where you've got a, you've got a good opportunity to keep the ball moving, and he'll he'll, he'll maybe kind of overhit a pass, or it's just it can be stuff that looks very simple, obviously, from watching uh, on the telly. But he does limit you in some in some ways. Having said that, the saves that he can pull off. It can it can win you games. I mean, that was as good as a goal the other end. So he's a, he's a top player for us, and I think he'll um, he'll continue for a while. Yeah. And we've mentioned this already, but I, I thought the bench looked really decent for for the probably the first time this season. You had the likes of Kapu, who, who when he got back on the field again, he looked really good as well. He's he contributed well. He got some good crossfield passes, and we know the quality that he possesses at this level. And and then we also had the ability to to bring on Ngakia as well, who you know when you're uh, when you're struggling to try and get back in the game, and and you've just seen Kiko go off. The last person you want to see come on is Ngakia. So I think both of those players, you know, really contributed to the game and and, and made us and made us look better when we came on. 
Oh, I mean the bench looks completely different. I mean, just adding those, uh, those having those two on the bench to come on, and you've got Queener on there, pressure if needed. You, it just things just look a lot fresher, and you've got that ability to switch things up, and it gives us that that tactical flexibility we need. Uh, I think when they came on, both did really well. I think Angaki was quite lucky not to get sent off in the end, actually, um, but he he did well, and he, he looked comfortable as soon as he came on. He placed some he placed some high passes that came off, and he he wasn't phased by it. He um, did very well in Kapu, we saw exactly what we expected. He was maybe a little bit more ranging than I was, I was expecting him to be. He was making runs down the right and he was actually kind of carrying that ball a little bit more, but you instantly see that the, the change in possession that we have there. Like once he comes into that midfield, you suddenly open up a lot more and you can see it from the movement of the wing-backs too. Like when, when Kapu comes into the game, everyone's making their runs forward a little bit earlier because they know you've, you've suddenly got the ability to, to move that ball in. Um, I will say as well, actually, I think for many of us, as I mentioned, I thought he was great last night and as, as good as Ngaki has been this season, he's arguably been one of our best players, if not the best player this season for us. Mm, yeah. The fact that Femenia played from the beginning, and I mean, there's an argument for Femenia starting at, at, at right wing back because of how good he was, uh, very comfortable on the ball, and he got forward really well, and he's a clever player. So, I mean, there's some, there's some depth there for sure. Yeah, and you mentioned there that Ngaki was a bit lucky not to see the second yellow after a few fouls, but I mean, someone else who was lucky not to see probably a straight red was Cabaselli when he was uh, a judge to have held his man back, and it, it did look to me as though as though that play was possibly the last man as well. So, I mean, do you think he got a bit lucky there? Yeah, I mean, I think I don't think anyone would have been too surprised had had we seen a red card being shown there. I mean, I think we did get a little bit fortunate. It's possible the angle of the run was taking slightly towards the corner flag, so maybe he's not directly through up. But I mean, if he'd have got sent up there, I think you'd, you'd struggle to argue that. Um, but that's something we've discussed. I, I mean, I've discussed myself multiple times on Twitter with with people. Is Cabaselli has has got that that level of um, liability to him that you, you do worry at times he's been terrific in some some games he's been really solid and he covers the ground well and he, he does his job but every now and then you just do know there are there are some situations where you do you do worry a little bit when he's, when he's involved yeah before true Stekron was signed I, I was um i was suspecting that it was going to be cabaselli who was the most likely to to be uh replaced for true Stekron. but uh, it seems as though kafkar has been the man who has been switching between himself and, and Troost and it, it, Kafka got the nod ahead of Troost Ekong for the game yesterday you, you think that's uh, valid? Yeah I mean I think I think we're going to see for the most part I do think it will be Cabaselli and Ekong fighting for that central position still uh, it, it, it did it did happen that Kafka started ahead of him but I, I, I don't think that's going to be something we're going to see too too much of I think Cabaselli is for the most part a better player in those central areas and I think that's the same for a Kong. I think as soon as you get them into their wider positions they can get a little more isolated and we've seen performances from from Cavaselli, most notably say Norwich away last season where you put them into their areas against the winger and mm. things don't really go so well. I mean Kate Cathcart isn't the athlete of uh, at the same level of Cavaselli, but he has got that experience. He's a little more controlled and that's that's kind of the situation you want him to be in, I think. Um, as as the central position, Akong and Cabaselli are just those combative centre backs that like to win the ball, and they like to be aggressive. So you'd much rather have them in there. Um, I don't see them playing together too much when all are available. I think it will be a case of one or the other. 
in the second half of that game against Blackburn, Watford came out and and you was a bit worried about what sort of Watford we'd see because Blackburn had pegged us back and and they uh, they looked they looked very decent all over the pitch, but Watford put in a really decent display to uh, to sort of nullify a lot of what Blackburn did. Yeah, I mean, I think we rode our luck at times. Um, we had some quite a few occasions where it looked pretty close to, to the tides changing a little bit, but we, we did a decent job. We've, we've seen that we can be quite resolute off the ball. I don't think defensively it was our best performance last night. I think we gave up a lot more. Obviously, that's part to do with, uh, with Blackburn too, so it's not just about us. But yeah, we, we, hang on, we hung on for the win. We were able to score a third, even if it wasn't own goal. It, it came from a, a really good cross from Ken Semmer, and we, we still were able to commit bodies forward. I think we've been a little bit guilty of maybe sitting back a little bit too much and becoming a little bit too passive at times in games. Obviously, there's a confidence that we can see out, uh, see out wins and, and, and get the points. So, yeah, I think I think we're going to see a little bit more of that. We saw a little bit more pressing last night uh, in the opposition third, so it's nice to see. We still have some some some, way, some room to to grow in that in that area too. So I think going forward, it's just a case of uh, making sure that we can we can be comfortable in those situations and, and continue the good run. Another player who impressed me in in that game was Chalaber, and I think he I think he worked very very hard. And and I'm seeing comments online with people suggesting that uh, the Chalaber of old is 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 starting to to come back. And I think they're probably referring to the the Chalaber that we saw when in his first loan spell. Now I'm not sure if he's quite the same player, but he certainly is putting in better performances than we've seen of late. Yeah, I think Chalaber's probably the one of the most talked about players when it comes to talking to, to other fans on Twitter or or whatever. So I think, yeah, he, he's he's one of them guys where he, he's starting to change his role. I, I don't think we're going to see the Chalibur of old again, personally. I don't think that's the player he is anymore. Um, he's adapted his role. He's he's become more of that defensive midfielder, destroyer type player. He'll sit there deep. He, he'll be relatively simple in possession, just primarily be there to, to break up the opposition attack. And just to just to just to shield that front that back line, so we're not going to see that kind of box to box ball playing before that we did before. But he's he's evolving. Whether or not that warrants a place in the team, whether we need a defensive midfielder in that capacity, or we prefer to roll with a, a more intercepting, uh, breaking up play in a different way type midfielder that we have in Etienne Capu or even Will Hughes if needed. So I think there's going to be some. There's going to be some different opinions on every time he plays, but we are seeing some improvement. Jordan, there was a fans at your place event held online via YouTube. Did you did you manage to catch that one? I did, yeah, I did. Well, did the format work for you? Look, I think I think we you never never really get the same the same sort of interview and style as if you actually had fans in the place. I, I think you did suffer from that. You, I kind of felt like the questions were a bit too curated and things didn't quite feel as natural and as as perhaps genuine as they had done in previous ones. Mm. What about yourself? Yeah, yeah. It, it did it did seem as though 
it, it was it was lacking the fan input, even though I know that they tried hard to to get it in there. But I mean, you can't really replicate what should be um, an event held somewhere locally where fans can get across and then people can put in questions and then other people can put in questions off the back of that one that they've just heard. And so it's always going to be difficult for them. But I think they they did a good job to try and get something out there. And it, and it was it was really pleasing to see that they that they were doing it. Although um, I've seen a few uh, perhaps negative comments on Twitter suggesting that uh, Scott Duxbury maybe swerved a few questions. Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult it's a difficult one for him. He got he got asked a couple of the pressing questions. I don't think any were too I don't think any were too cutting towards him particularly. I know there's the question about the uh, lack of communication uh, from from the club, which I kind of understood his argument uh, as as being for it being unfair, but I mean the thing is, there's lots of questions that, that fans would like to have been asked. And I saw it, to be fair, I did see a lot of good questions that are asked using the hashtag that weren't asked to uh, to, to Dutch mm. Birotovic. So it, it's a bit of a shame. I think it's a little bit of an opportunity wasted. I, I appreciate what they're trying to do. I think it's a worthwhile thing. And I think it just works better from an, an open kind of forum format where you have the people in the building, as you say. They can ask questions at the back of others and you kind of get a bit more of it. It feels like a genuine response. I, I like Scott Dashbury in, in, in a lot of those situations. I think he does a good job. I think he was, I think he was maybe put in a bit of a difficult situation, but yeah, I think it's a positive thing overall. I just think we need to see a little bit, a little bit more work done. Something that continued. I mean, I'd be happy to see those sorts of events go on more than once a year. I think that'd be something we could we could see quite regularly, and it would it would do uh, quite a lot of good. Yeah, that'd be a good a good one. Maybe we can put that one to. To Scott, see if it'd be interesting doing it again. One question that he didn't swerve was uh, was the case of Mary Apper, and uh, he was actually quite apologetic for not putting something out earlier, thanking him for his services to the club. And I, I think it was it was nice that he was, uh, you know, sort of he he came out. It was pretty openly, and he said that that was a, a mistake that he had made, and and it, and it was nice to get a bit of closure now to to, to find out what had happened, or, or at least a little bit about what had happened, and and find out you know more about the Mary Apper situation. Yeah, I think I think that was handled maybe not the best. It was, it's a shame. I mean, Mariupol has, has been a bit part player for the last couple of couple of seasons. I know there's been some some frustration when he's been chosen in the lineup, or it hasn't quite ended the way that maybe some would hope. But he deserved a little bit more than that. He's he's played he's played a lot of games. He's been a, a lot of service to the club, so it's, it's a little bit of a shame. Um, but yeah, as you say, he admitted that he. He should have done better. The club should have done better, and uh, you know I hope that in the future we'll uh, we'll, we'll handle them transitions a little smoother. And we also got to hear a little bit more about uh, the finances. And whilst figures weren't mentioned, Mr. Duxbury felt, or at least put across, the feeling that he was on top of things. Yeah, I mean I'm sure that's another thing that we've we've got owners that are pretty good in that situation. I know there's been. A, a lot of talk about frustration from our, our, our transfer fees or, or lack of transfer fees over, over the summer, but we have to accept that's that's part of the that's part of the style of the ownership. They they are going to balance the books and they are going to make sure that we're financially viable without taking too many risks. And if that means missing out on some targets or being pragmatic in our, in our squad building, it's, it's going to happen. So it's it's just part of it. I mean, our owners got us to the position we're in off the back of that philosophy. So. I think we can we can be fairly confident that things off the field in terms of financials are going to be pretty stable and then we can go from there really, yeah. 
And with regards to questions for the boss, Vladimir Ivich, he, he again was, was very vocal about needing a left-back. But interestingly, he specified that he wanted a left-back with a defensive focus, which I thought was which, which was quite interesting for him to, to point out. Yeah, I mean, I, I love them questions that come in, especially if it asks something a little bit um, more specific about the, the, the system he's playing or, or the tactics he's looking to deploy. So the, the fact that he mentioned that he was um, looking for yeah, that more defensively focused left-back and he wasn't able to come off, that that was interesting to hear. It does give you that indication that we are looking or he is looking at, at doing things a little bit differently and possibly working with that 4-2-3-1 that we've, we've seen him use before. Obviously, we've got Massimo to come back, but I think having someone available to to actually be able to play as of now and get things moving earlier would be nice. But for the time being, we just have to go with what we've got. It's just a, it's just a shame we couldn't really get that extra body in just to give us a little bit more flexibility. That's kind of that one missing piece. And we've heard Ivic say this as, say this before, but um, he, he he mentioned again that he he enjoys working with with, with young players, and it was interesting to see that Duxbury also highlighted that this was something that the club perhaps hadn't done too much of in, in the last uh, few seasons and, and that it's something they're looking to get back to. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I've definitely thought about a lot in the last couple of years and it's something that we really did stray away from. It's a shame because when we when we did get promoted, it's, it can't go back to the, the financial pragmatism of the owners. When we got promoted, you, you're looking for value and you're looking for experience, which is, which is fine. It, it does a job and we needed it. Uh, as a, as a kind of time progressed and the seasons progressed, we kind of didn't really change from that model too much. We brought in a few. We had a couple of younger players come in and to, to varying degrees of success, but we did kind of stick towards that older, uh, that older, more experienced player because we were looking for value more than anything. And when you're looking for value, sometimes you you sacrifice that that young prospect because ultimately they're gonna they're gonna demand more money. So. It's a little bit of a shame that things did go that way, but at least now we're addressing it and we've kind of been left in a situation now where it makes sense to go back to their roots. And it's part of the part of the strategy that's been going on there for a while. So they, they, we've seen it with young players that have progressed to bigger clubs and moved on and it's been successful for them financially too. It's just having that confidence in that initial transfer of the player that you can, uh, you can recoup some of that money at a high percentage later on. So... Going forward, I think that's going to be something that we can, we can continue with and we've seen some promising uh, output from the young players that have been involved so far. Yeah, we've got quite a few uh, playing in the first team now. Arguably, you could you could say that most of those have actually been brought in rather than come through the, 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 the system that Watford had, the academy. But is there anyone in the academy that we know of that, that could potentially make the step up? I mean, it's very difficult to assess the academy situation. Under 23 football is such a mixed bag. It's it's very hard to to say who can make that step up without seeing them play some uh, some professional minutes. That's that's what the cups are good for. And we got to see a few few players come through. We saw Dan Phillips playing. There's some talk about him being involved in the first team. I, I don't think it's really going to happen this season, but it's something we can look at. I think I think the key for us is I think the question was actually raised, but is identifying the, the young players that we have involved in the system, such as Sancho or Saka, and, and working out how we can how we can get them into situations where they can, at some point, either not necessarily play for the club, but demand an actual fee for us at some point. Um, personally, I think it, it requires the loan system to be used better. Um, we've had a few too many players just kind of stay around that under-23 level. And as far as I'm concerned, if you're, if you're in the under-23s and you're not loaned out, then you're not being taken seriously as a, as a player for the first team. So I'd like to see a little bit more of that myself. 
So all in all, the, uh, the At Your Place event, we think, was a, was a bit of a success. But uh, I have to say, I also really enjoyed the kids' questions too. I think that was a nice touch. And it really emphasises the family club that, that we are. Yeah, I mean, that's, that is what we do, isn't it? So I think having, having that interaction is, is, is good. Ivich was uh, able to laugh a little bit, which is always nice to see. And it was just, it, it was just a pretty relaxed environment. I didn't think anything was too, too pressing. And the, the questions were handled reasonably well like what it wasn't it wasn't too stressful for the diaspora bit. so yeah i mean that's a good and a bad thing it's a good thing in the sense that we got that interaction from everyone but i think we'd also like to see them answer a few of them uh, a few of them tougher questions to do okay back to the football then it's another tough game up next for watford and afc bournemouth do you do you expect to see a similar side to to what we put out against blackburn or with the short turnaround do you think some personnel changes might be seen i think two or three changes is is probably to be expected. I think we're going to see a little bit of rotation. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. We've, we've got a lot of players that could argue their, their spot in the first team. So I think we'll, we'll see some and we might see a few changes in terms of, of system and, and tactical tweaks uh, just, to, just to match up with Bournemouth. It's a, a team that also play a three at the back. So whether we'll look at um, a way of exploiting that. They also play them that 3-4-3 three, three system. So they've got them two, two wingers either side as well. So it'll be interesting to see. There's going to be uh, there's going to be a lot of tactical matchups which we will probably favour us. But there's also a few in there which will uh, make things hard. So it's going to be interesting to see how the two two coaches handle this. Do you think uh, any formation changes or shape changes to reflect how Bournemouth play? I mean, personally, I still like to see the three central midfielders being used, especially if we've got Kapoor returning. Uh, I think it becomes very important for those those two central midfielders when you're playing that 3-4-3 especially when you're matching up against uh, a 3-4-3 as well because you have them then when there's kind of attacking that space behind you so if you can if you can look to exploit that then you could you could you could get something out of the game on the other hand Bournemouth could be thinking the exact same thing so you might even go into this game with two teams playing two completely different formations they might just start the same it all depends on how the coach feels about things but based on what personnel we have available I think if we could look to exploit that central area, that could uh, that could really be a game changer for us. And uh, all things going going well for Watford uh, in the lead up to the game. What do you think the uh, potential score could be, Jordan? I mean, it's a tough one to call, but I think I'm, I think we're looking at a draw for this one. Oh yeah, uh, okay. A goal yeah, to straw or or some goals in it. I'll go for a one-one. One-one. If I had, if I, if I had to give you had to give a prediction, I'd say one-one. But there's just enough in the two teams. It's going to be it's going to be contested. Bournemouth are going to look to have a lot of the ball. We're going to be pretty resolute off the ball. I just think that we've got enough quality to hurt them in, in possession as well. So I, I just think it's going to be a bit of a, not a stalemate necessarily, but having said that, it's a championship. So you could turn up in the day and one team runs away with it. You just don't know. But I think there's there's definitely a good chance for the overall side in this one. Excellent stuff. Well, that's the voice of Jordan Weimer, Watford Analytics, and you can follow him on Twitter for some top Watford insight at Jordan Weimer. Coming up next, though, we've got a fantastic guest. It's none other than the Wembley Stadium announcer and BBC Solent journalist, Chris Temple. Now it's time to turn our attention to the visitors this weekend, and that is, of course, AFC Bournemouth. 
And when you're talking about the Cherry, there's probably few better to talk to than BBC Solent broadcaster Chris Temple. Chris, thanks for joining me. You've been watching Bournemouth this season. It must have been pretty exciting, actually. Three wins, three draws, and, and you're only one of two teams who remain unbeating thus far. Yeah, Matt, it's a, it's a funny sort of shift in mentality, really. When you've, and you know, what fans will know this the same, when you're in the Premier League and you're, you're every season battling against relegation and you're turning up to games every week thinking, oh, you know, you take a draw today at best, you know, no chance against some of the big six teams or whatever. And of course, all of a sudden, then you come to the Championship where you're one of the, effectively one of the stronger teams, supposedly, and the mentality changes to, well, you're disappointed if you don't win every week all of a sudden. So, yeah, the, the last couple of games particularly have been a bit a little bit disappointing after, a, you know, a pretty good start start to the season but as you say importantly um, unbeaten you know zero defeats in that column so far and of course given the changes over the summer at the club with the management um, you know I think an unbeaten start after six games most fans would have absolutely taken that and I'm sure Jason Tindall the manager would have certainly have done. Yeah I mean well like you said there Bournemouth are in a very similar situation to Watford in the sense that they've been relegated they've changed their head coach and and for the most part that they've been playing good football this season plenty of parallels there to draw upon for both teams. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's been one or two more goals in Bournemouth games than there have been in Watford games. Obviously, <laughs> that, that changed against Blackburn. But uh, yeah, it, you know, Bournemouth so far, Jason Tindall hasn't really evolved the squad that much particularly. And they managed to keep hold of a couple of players that possibly they didn't expect to keep hold of. And I think of Joshua King and David Brooks particularly in, in that category. Obviously, you know, two or three others went and they, they got some big money for them as well. And I think they probably wanted a couple more bodies through the door in terms of, um, you know, a bit of extra depth in the squad because they are a little bit thin when you look at the bench uh, you wouldn't want too many injuries in that squad um, before January I wouldn't think yeah and if you look at the transfer business that, that both teams have done actually again it's quite similar because it's mainly been players unfortunately going out of the door for, for big transfer fees and the people coming in the doors have mostly been loans or free transfers and I guess that's the kind of situation that both clubs are in at the minute they're having to be a bit strapped for cash and they, and they need to get money in to support the uh, the fact that they're no longer in the Premier League. Yeah, and I think it was always obvious that, you know, you, I mean, Watford fans, of course, know Nathan Ake very well, who Bournemouth mm. pocketed a, a nice tidy £40 million for to Man City. He was never going to stay. That was always, you know, he was always going to be a, a very good asset in terms of getting some money in. Callum Wilson, I think, was never going to stay. The Ryan Fraser situation was all a bit unsavoury towards the back end of last season, although Bournemouth didn't get a fee for him. Obviously, he's a, a notable player who um, who ended up um, leaving so and Aaron Ramsdale obviously to Sheffield United as well who's one they possibly could have kept that was maybe the, the most surprising of the of the departures but I mean yeah keeping King maybe maybe slightly against his will he hasn't actually really featured much so far David Brooks can't really stay fit at the moment he hasn't been fit much this season at all so and whether we see either of those players against Watford at, at the weekend who knows but uh, there's certainly two players forgetting the rest of the squad even King and Brooks you know they, they are better than championship performance for sure they're both internationals and if they can get stay fit and get firing then Bournemouth fans will be looking to them to be you know propelling them hopefully towards a, a promotion tilt so who are some of the players that have come in and joined the squad then well, it won't take me long to go through those for you, Matt, because there have already been a couple. Um, Rodrigo Riquelme, who actually uh, is a, a young 20-year-old winger. He's about five foot six. He actually sort of is very much in the Ryan Fraser mould in terms of physicality. There's not much of him. Okay. Um, we've got a very brief look at him as a substitute at Cardiff on, on Wednesday night for, for 10 minutes. And I have to say, he was confident. He got on the ball. Um, he was keen to take people on. So, you know, some some bright early early looks from him. Um, he, he basically has been at Atletico Madrid. He's on loan for the season. Um, he's had a couple of cup appearances 
for Atletico, but hasn't really broken out of the B team particularly. So he's coming to get some some experience. But you know, anybody under Simeone who's anywhere in the picture at Atletico has got to be decent at championship level, you would think. So yeah, we're excited to see what what he can do. The other signing that came in was Cameron Carter-Vickers, who had two different spells on loan in the Championship last season away from Tottenham. First half of the season, he was at Stoke. Second half, he was at Luton, um, just up the road from you guys, where Graham Jones, who was the manager then of Luton, is now on the Bournemouth coaching staff. Um, and again, Carter-Vickers isn't up to speed yet, hasn't been involved so far since signing on deadline, may well make the 18, just as a bit of defensive cover. So that is all they've brought in, really. Um, just a couple of sort of players who are a little bit of a roll of the dice. Jason Tindall said, you know, he's, he wasn't too worried if he didn't bring in a couple of the targets they had. They were certainly looking at a centre-half. Uh, they were looking at another attacking player as well. They were a bit short of striking options in terms of out-and-out number nines. So, yeah, it's, it's, not been a, it's not been necessarily the incoming window, I think, that Bournemouth fans were hoping for. No, no. But obviously, uh, a big difference is that uh, you have a, a new head coach and, and, and similar to, to Watford with a new head coach as well. Although I can't really say it's uh, a big difference because, of course, Jason Tinder was, has been there for such a long time. I mean, I think it's probably about 20 years as both a player and, and then as assistant as well. But how, how has he adapted to the top job? He's actually, you know, I think he's surprised a few people in a positive way, to be honest with you. I think, you know, there was certainly been a faction of the fans who, when he was given the job, might have thought it was a slightly unambitious appointment by the club. And some people will say the cheap option. Um, But at the same time, it does give you that continuity because a lot of what Jason Tindall has been working on with Eddie Howe in the previous era um, will carry forward. But of course... Jason Tindall is his own man and has his own ideas. And we've already seen that, you know, a change in formation. They've been playing three at the back every game so far. Um, and it seems like, you know, even from his interviews, you know, he, he doesn't didn't do a lot of interviews, actually, in his time as assistant manager. Eddie Howe sort of took charge of all of that. But he, he speaks well. Um, I think he's making the right noises. Um, but he's still, this is a team still evolving. So it's, it's harsh to judge him in the early stages of the season. But, yeah, I mean... I've got to say, I was quite surprised when he got the job. I thought they might look to freshen it up completely. Um, but all of the coaching staff behind Jason Tindall pretty much have all stayed in place um, in terms of there's a lot of former players in there. Um, so, yeah, it's it's all, um, you know, there is that continuity, but that element of freshness as well. And I think Graham Jones, they brought in as a first-team coach who obviously was um, assistant to Roberto Martinez at, at Belgium and other places. A, lot, a, a fresh pair of eyes great deal of experience. I think that is a very much a benefit to, to Tindall in, his, in the fledgling stages of his managerial career. Let's talk a little bit about that uh, formation. You mentioned three at the back there. Have Bournemouth been playing differently under Tindall? Have they changed their shape this season? Yeah, they have. I mean, they have tried three at the back in the past, but not on a consistent basis. Eddie Howe used to use it on a sort of a, a horses for courses basis, depending on the whoever they were playing and how they they lined up. But yeah, it's been a back three this season, and actually they've had to they've had to use Diego Rico, who actually has been one of their sort of star performers. Really, had a great game against Cardiff again in midweek. Um, on the left of that back three, he's he's really an out and out fullback, if not a wing back. He's a very attacking minded player, so he's had to fill in because Lloyd Kelly um, picked up a hamstring injury in the early stage of the season so that was where I think the worry was defensively in the transfer window that they were having to already use people slightly out of position to fill that back three Um, but it has worked pretty well they use um, Jack Stacey another former Luton player um, as the right wing back and Adam Smith as the sort of left wing back in a in a 3-4-3 and then a couple of guys I haven't mentioned so far attacking wise Arnout Danjuma Dutch international who again is has fitness issues, but when he's fit, he is a serious player. Uh, Junior Stanislas, exactly the same. Yeah. Fitness issues, 
But, you know, on his day, great player. And then Dom Solanke down the middle as the number nine. Um, so, yeah, it's been a 3-4-3. A couple of times they've played three in central midfield um, with, with Lewis Cook holding and Jefferson Lerner in a bit more of an advanced role because we often see him as the defensive sort of anchor, if you like. Um, but he's been let off the leash and he's already scored two goals. And I think his best ever scoring season is three in his career. So, yeah, it's it's been a bit of a change. Um Personally, I, I like to see the three in the centre. I think that worked well for them. They opted to go against Cardiff with just the two in there. And, um, you know, it, they did play well, but didn't take their chances. And we're recording this podcast on the Thursday after the, the, the Wednesday fixtures. And, and Bournemouth obviously played against Cardiff. And, uh, well, it was a game that they dominated the possession stats in. And they had six shots on target as well, but ended up with just the one goal. And, and ultimately a draw, which I think Tyndall reflected upon after the match that he was disappointed with. Do you think it was just a uh, missed opportunities on the night? I mean, Slanky could have probably scored at least once, but was it just Cardiff had had a particularly good game? Um, it's definitely a missed opportunity for Bournemouth. They had chances. You know, Dom Solanke actually got one, should have had a hat-trick, to be honest with you. Um, Alex Smithies in the Cardiff goal made an unbelievable save onto the bar at one point from from close range. Uh, but Bournemouth had chances. They hit the bar twice. Um, Stanislas hit the bar. Um, but it was the, the classic case of not getting that second goal to kill off the game. They were one up and cruising. Uh, then Smithies made his great save at 1-0. And then Cardiff took a bit of a lift for that, I think. And, of course, it was Harry Wilson who got the equaliser, who was on loan at Bournemouth last season. And so there was a, a little bit of sort of, I guess, predictable irony in that. Um, and it came from a mistake from his Welsh international teammate, Chris Meppham, as well. So, yeah, but I think certainly that game, Bournemouth, it was much improved from Saturday. They were pretty abject against QPR in a, in a desperately bad game, uh, which finished nil-nil at the weekend. So it was a step forward from that for sure. Um, but, you know, in the championship, cliched as it is, if you're looking at dropping two points here, two points there, that can all start to add up. Um, so, yeah, the, the general disappointment, I think, from the, the Cardiff result was that they dominated, had chances and, and just let Cardiff burgle a point towards the end. Yeah, Slanky certainly uh, is one to, to to look out for from a Watford perspective, especially when he's on his day. But who else do you think that Watford should be uh, worried about on, on the weekend? Well, Solanke's a really interesting one because he does come in for a bit of criticism from, from Bournemouth fans. And as I say, he should have had a hat-trick on Wednesday. He's he's not really an out-and-out -out number nine. He wears number nine. He plays centre-forward. Oh. No, he, he's, he's, he's played a lot of his Bournemouth career as just off the main striker. And I think the one, the one thing he's got to convince Bournemouth fans of is that he can be that striker who can score you 20 goals a season. He's got a couple already. He's got a couple of assists as well. And his all-round game around the edge of the penalty area, bringing other people in, is often very good. He just seems to be short of a bit of luck. Like, the save again from the goalkeeper against Cardiff was amazing. That was his shot that was saved. He sometimes will slip over when he's got a great opportunity mm. it'll bounce off his knee he's one of those strikers you just feel like the luck hasn't quite turned for him yet um so he's he you know he's probably due hopefully with the form he's been showing uh, in in patches due to you know to hopefully get on a scoring run in terms of the other players Watford need to look out for I mean Dan Juma if he if he is fit and he, you know he played best part of 90 minutes against Cardiff in midweek um you know he is he is a dazzling dazzling winger who will certainly give Watford some trouble um David Brooks and Joshua King you know Watford will know exactly what they can do from previous yeah. encounters but again we haven't seen them really this season there's a chance they could be back against Watford on Saturday um and then, I mean, I mean, at the back, just keep an eye out for Diego Rico because he's somebody who maybe goes under the radar a little bit as not one of Bournemouth's leading lights. But, you know, defensively, I think you'll, you know, the Watford players will know and will find him, you know, a tough man to get past on the left of that back three. Um, I know he'll have it all on with, you know, the likes of João Pedro floating along that front line. But, um, yeah, he, he's, he's one who's certainly catching the eye from Bournemouth in a, a defensive manner anyway. 
Yeah, if you look at that Bournemouth squad, there's a number of players there that, that have transitioned pretty well from Premier League to, to the Championship. And with the, the, the fairly good start you've had so far, you'd have to say the Premier League is certainly the objective this season to get back to it. Yeah, it's got to be. It has to be. And I think for Watford the same, you know, while you've got the, the benefit of the parachute payment at its maximum, um, you know, you, you've kept m- most of the squad together, um, bar two or three. Um, they may well look in January, at, you know, depending on how the first half of the season has gone and throwing a bit more money at it. But, you know, Bournemouth do have to be slightly careful with the financial situation as well. They're, they're not poor by no means. I don't think they're quite as rich as a lot of clubs think they are. But of course, given the current situation, they do need to be slightly prudent with how much money they're sloshing about, which is why they weren't willing to pay massive fees. But yeah, I mean, most of the Bournemouth squad have played in the Championship before. It will be a new experience for the likes of Dan Juma and for the likes of Diego Rico and, and Jefferson Lerma, of course, wouldn't have played in the Championship before. So they've, they've taken a few games to get going, but I think they're realising what the Championship's all about. And they're mixed in there, you know, a lot of the season campaigners, the likes of Dan Gosling, for example, who has been around for, for many years. Joshua King's played in the championship, of course. And even some of the younger guys, you know, like the likes of Jack Stacey, who came in last season. Uh, Chris Meppham, obviously, has got excellent experience in the championship from Brentford. So there's a lot of lot of guys in that squad who, who know what the championship's all about. I think the biggest worry from Bournemouth's point of view is the intensity of the fixture schedule and the amount of players they've got in their squad who are rather prone to injuries and therefore the lack of depth behind them is a slight concern. So that that would be the the only worry from Bournemouth's point of view at the moment would be the goals, they, what, they need a number nine or somebody to be a regular contributor and the depth of the squad, given the fragility of some of their players, would be a slight concern. Has Tindall got on record saying what what, he, what his opinion of uh, the project big picture was with regards to the, the Championship and, and Premier League? He's, he's in the early stages of his managerial career, Jason Tindley. He's proving himself quite safe in terms of, I would say, um, views on things outside of his own control. So things like, you know, the COVID situation. They went to play Middlesbrough, for example, just after Neil Warnock had tested positive for, for COVID. He didn't really want to commit too much on that. Um, I think it's a lot of it is a, an education thing. Sometimes people don't want to comment too much on things that they maybe haven't got as much knowledge as they would like on. So he hasn't had a, a huge amount to say on that, to be honest with you. But yeah, I mean, from, from Bournemouth's point of view, they're actually one of those clubs who have a small ground and therefore aren't hugely impacted financially by the lack of crowds. Um, because they can only get 12,000 in. So other clubs, you know, you look at Watford 25, you know, the, the clubs who have 30,000, 35,000 every week, that's a huge part of their their running costs. Yeah. At Bournemouth, less so because the crowd, um, you know, the, the the wages and the, the crowd income, if you like, uh, are so imbalanced at Bournemouth. Um, but they've got an owner who's ha- happy and willing to put money in the pocket and is, is not going anywhere um, anytime soon. So, yeah, I think, I think at the moment Bournemouth, you know, while... The, the greater good of English football is obviously the, the more pressing concern. Selfishly, from a Bournemouth point of view, you know they aren't actually too badly off at the moment. But, you know, as we know in football, the bubble can burst very quickly. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, there's, there's certainly a lot of interest about this this game, Watford versus Bournemouth. It's been selected for the earlier kickoff time at 12.30. You think a few people will be tuning in to watch this one? Yeah, I would have thought so, because I think a lot of the championship, you know, that you always look first and foremost at the three teams coming down, don't you, as what is yeah, the yardstick, yeah. what have we got to get past this season? So, you know, Norwich have had a bit of an in and out start, Watford have had a, an excellent start, and actually, 
you know, when you look at the uh, the table now, it's third against fourth on Saturday, just separated by a point. And Watford and Bournemouth have really been sort of hand in hand for a few years, haven't they? Came up together, mm, came right. down together. Yeah. I've had a few great games in, in recent years. I mean, I have to say the Watford, the last meeting that Watford won 3-0 at Bournemouth back in January, I mean, that was actually a, a time when I think Bournemouth fans started to realise that it, it might be going wrong this um, last season in the Premier League because they were on a desperately bad trot. That game was built up as a, a big relegation six-pointer and Watford came and just um, you know dominated Bournemouth that day so I think that was the day that Bournemouth fans might have realised it wasn't going to be their year but I go back to obviously the Bournemouth 4-0 win at Watford a couple of seasons ago which you won't mind me mentioning I'm sure um, there's you know there's been there's been some great games down the years the 3-3 at, uh, at Bournemouth as well so yeah it, it has been a, a competitive fixture uh, there's been a sort of a bit of a mini rivalry building up between the two teams of course since the championship promotion uh, season as well so yeah it's always a fixture I, I look forward to actually it's not even too far up the motorway for us to come on a, for an early start on a Saturday either. Well, that's nice. Uh, are there other teams in, in the Championship that have impressed you this season? I mean, I suppose Reading and, and Bristol are probably the obvious ones to mention, but, uh, you know, they've both been doing very well. And, and Reading in particular, they haven't lost this, this season and, and they're, you know, they're on a pretty decent run. Well, Reading have completely surprised me, I've got to say, and I think I've surprised most people because when you change a manager and you, it's all a bit un, untried, untested, it was all a bit sort of strange the way it happened as well with Mark Bowen's departure in the close season and you bring in someone who hasn't got experience of English football. I think, you know, Reading fans must be rubbing their eyes at the minute thinking, well, is this is this really happening? Because mm. they've had an unbelievable start. Bristol City, the same, you know, they, they went the same way as, as Bournemouth a little bit in promoting their, their number two, Dean Holden, to be the manager. And again, City fans might have been targeting one or two other maybe more more recognisable names to take that job but they've had a, a decent start albeit lost to Middlesbrough in midweek um, you know and I mean you saw Blackburn at close or Watford saw Blackburn at close quarters yeah. obviously on Wednesday yeah. night and that was a, a result that I found a little bit surprising I thought Blackburn would be more competitive than that against Watford because Blackburn came to Bournemouth on the opening day of the season and, and Bournemouth won 3-2 and already you're looking at that and thinking that could that looks like a great result because Blackburn you know with the signings they've made as well um, you know they look they look an impressive outfit under Tony Mowbray so I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them uh, hanging in and around but I mean already we're seeing Matt the championship cliched as it is we are seeing teams turn in strange results you know you wouldn't have had Barnsley to get a result against Bristol City you know Middlesbrough winning away at Bristol City you know Middlesbrough have been a bit inconsistent so already we are seeing and I think the fixture schedule will will the intensity of it the quick turnaround in games the physical demands um, I think we will see some strange results coming over between now and Christmas and it's going to be pretty hard I think for teams to get themselves into a a good run of form I think the table is going to be all over the place till Christmas to be honest with you yeah we're certainly going to see some strange results I'm sure it's not called the the bonkers league for nothing no. is it? but uh, well I suppose that leads me on to my my final question and uh, talking about results what what do you what do you think the score is going to be on Saturday well, Watford obviously have proved themselves defensively very hard to break down. And Bournemouth have been, you know, they played very well at Coventry and scored three away from home. Um, but Coventry were, were pretty average. Um, you know, last night against Cardiff, they had chances, didn't take them. So they have been creating things. I think they'll find Watford much harder to break down than, than maybe in their previous away games that they've played. So I don't see Bournemouth, um, I don't see a high scoring game from Bournemouth's point of view. I have to say Bournemouth have been defending well. I don't want to sort of put a kiss of death on it, but they made a mistake um, on Wednesday night against Cardiff. But b before that, not too much has gone wrong defensively for them. So um, I, I find I think Watford are going to have a you know a job on breaking Bournemouth down as well. So boring as it is, it's probably the most boring result I could predict. But I, I'm, I'm looking at a 1-1 to be honest with you, Matt. 
Well, that's fair. That's fair. And and certainly uh, nice of you not to not to not to choose a, a result that went in the favour of the visitors. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be far too biased and unrealistic I think, for me to do that because it. I mean, the way Watford have been playing, I don't think anybody could confidently say Bournemouth would come there and win. So I think Bournemouth fans would take a draw. Okay, good stuff. Well, that's Chris Temple there, football journalist, commentator, and stadium announcer as well. And if you want to follow him on Twitter, you can do so at Chris Temple. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's episode. But if you've liked the show, you've liked what you've heard today, please make sure to give us a follow on Twitter, retweet the show and share the show on Facebook so that more fans can listen in and together we can start a buzz about the Watford Buzz podcast. Bye for now. We'll be right back.